good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Please stand as we enter into worship together.
This is my revelation Christ Jesus crucified Salvation through repentance At the cross on which he Forgiveness for my sin. And I seek beneath the waters that Christ was buried in. Steal 
Take a moment to greet those around you. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we all feeling today? See, there's some excitement for church this morning. I'd love to hear that. Well, we are blessed that you are here with us today, and uh, what a great time of worship. And I know you're going to be so blessed by the message and the continuation of our worship and music this morning, uh, but we are just blessed you're here. Whether uh, you've attended for a while or maybe you're new here, uh, we're glad you're here. And if this is your maybe your first time here, uh, if you open up the bulletin on your way in, there's just a little uh, place that we just want to know you were here, give us a chance to just connect with you, uh, talk to you and share with you more about our church, who we are, what we're about, what God is doing here. And uh, so take some time to fill that out. And when the ushers come by for our offering in just a few moments, you can just place that in there. And uh, we would love to know that you were here. As well as we are a church that loves to pray for one another. And so I'd encourage you anytime during the service before the offering comes by or even after and you can hand it to me, take a moment just to fill out a prayer or maybe a praise request. Uh, we know there are seasons where God is also doing some incredible things in your life and we also want to come alongside and celebrate with you. It may be the, the great things that God is doing, and, uh, but we know also uh, that there are some pains and hurts and we as a church, just one of the greatest ways that we know that we can love and support you is to pray for you. Collectively, we got an incredible ministry here in this church that prays for one another. And so we just want to know how we can pray. So again, just take that, tear that off, place that in the offering bin as it comes by, and we would just love to pray with you. Well, as we are entering into a new year and a new season of ministry here at LJCC, uh, we are looking for some volunteers to help us take our ministry needs 
levels to the next level. So if you have thought about, well, you know, I want to serve here. I don't know what my gifting is or what I might be good at. That's okay because that's a big reason why I'm here is I want to help you discover some of the ways in how God wants to use you here in this church to help us meet needs and also the future needs that are going to arise. But just a couple maybe, uh, greeting coming in, ushering. I know everyone has this fear of, well, uh, I know I might not be the, the friendliest person, so I might not be the one to greet out uh, in the front, but I can tell you what, if you talk with me for 30 seconds, I can tell you uh, whether or not you'd be qualified to do that, and if not, I know of a perfect other place to put you, all right? So just because you might not be good at that doesn't mean we don't have a place for you, but we really want to be a church that sees God's people serving the needs of others. So children's ministry, our youth ministries, prayer ministry, we have a lot of opportunities for you to get plugged in where you just say and you come up to me, these are the conversations I love to hear. Dave, uh, you know, I never knew where my place in church was, but now that I've been doing this for a few weeks or a few months, I can't see myself doing anything else. I'm so fulfilled in this. I want to help you get to that place. Because there's no greater joy for me than seeing God's people serving in the capacity God has created them to do. Maybe that's in here. Maybe that's out of our walls. Uh, but come and talk with me. Email me this week. All my information's in the bulletin. And would love to connect with you. Uh, also, um, we had our youth ministry this last week. Did a credible service. They do a great job. You guys enjoy hearing that? Well, right after we exhausted them for the weekend, we sent them to camp. And uh, so they're up there this weekend, and I had an opportunity to just connect with our leaders who were up there. I said, hey, what are some of the things that God is doing up there? And they both sent me messages back, but here's the one I just wanted to share with you today. Uh, Tony, who's leading our junior high uh, ministry up at Forest Home Camp, just sent me a message. He said, Dave, something really cool happened last night. After the message was done and the series was ending, all the kids uh, had the option uh, to stick around and do something, and all of our kids opted to stay around instead of going to free time. One, the temptation is always to go to the free time, right? Uh, but they stayed around, and they all wrote on a three-by-five card someone that when they return from camp, they want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Isn't that awesome? And I think we as a church are able to support that. And so as they return today, would you pray for them? And I know you don't know the names on that three-by-five card, but God does. And God knows the person that that student is going to go and talk with this week and his school is starting and all the things that are going to be happening. Would you pray for these youth to be bold in their faith to follow through on that? Maybe as you see them, we'll try to get some stories from them. Uh, but ask them, how's it going? And hey, how, how can I help you reach that uh, student or that friend of yours for Jesus? And I know that would be an incredible encouragement to them. And so there's a lot more things that you can read in the bulletin, uh, some of the things that are going to be happening uh, but get in on the ground floor on what God's going to do in 2020, and we want to partner with you as we see God do some incredible things in this church, in our community, in the schools, in our homes, in our families, and uh, let's just pray that God would reveal to us what we need to do uh, to be a part of that. So right now, I'm going to invite Lynn to come up and uh, lead us in our time of prayer. Good morning, everybody. Oh, this is better than the first service. I'm delighted to be able to pray with you this morning, and it's just wonderful to see all of you out here. There's some faces that I don't get to see because I always go to the first service. So hi, everybody that I don't normally get to see. Will you please bow your heads and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we gather together today to praise and worship your holy and sovereign name. It is with hearts of gratitude that we come before you, acknowledging 
that you are God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It is with hearts of gratitude that we are able to do this openly and freely, knowing with each word you are glorified. Thank you that you are always with us, loving, guiding, protecting, and helping us. We confess that we are sinners and ask for forgiveness through the blood of Christ shed for us. We thank you that because of Christ, you look at us and see his blood covering our sin. You also see his righteousness. You see his holy life and credit it to us. Holy Spirit, help us to turn away from whatever is sinful and create in us a clean heart, conforming to God's will. As we write the paragraph of our life today, may it reflect your word as we apply it to our lives. May love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control be the beacons that guide and light our paths. And to quote one of our youths from last week, help us to be the nicest person we know how to be. We pray for our church and its staff and ask that you grant them wisdom as they go about their daily service to you. May our church be a welcoming door for anyone to enter evident of the love of Jesus Christ. Also, we pray that we are a positive and impactful representation of you in the community, using Jesus as our mentor and walking in his way. Thank you for listening to our prayers and for the blessings you flow over us like a soft spring breeze. May we, in turn, be blessings to others in the week to come. This is prayed in the beautiful and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Lynn. Oh my gosh, it's a dead of winter. It's like 58 degrees right now. Can you believe this? I'm freezing. Then would you mind closing that door? Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, it's dangerous. Um, well, glad you're here, and we are finishing up the first series of our year today. Uh, we launched the year asking the question, what's new? A great question, right? What's new? And in asking that question, we're really trying to get to what's best, uh, what's most important, uh, what's essential. And we started uh, talking about identity. We built on that, talking about uh, heart and then mind. What does it mean to have an identity in Christ, a heart in Christ, a mind in Christ? And today we're talking about a life, a new life. Uh, how many of you uh, have ever met a guy named Tim Johnson? Lives in Bird Rock. Uh, I think Tim used to be, I think, a sous chef at Zembu at one point. Anyway, great guy. Uh, I don't know Tim. I know people who know Tim. But I know Sandra, and I'm going to get to Sandra in a second. But Tim, uh, young, healthy, kids in school, active guy, got really sick and couldn't figure out what was wrong. Went to the doctor. They said, oh, who knows? Come back if you feel more sick and... Uh, he seemed to get better, then he got more sick, so he went back. And it turns out his kidney, uh, his kidneys were failing. And uh, it was grim and bleak, and uh, they managed it for a while, and then he went on, I think, twice a week dialysis, something like that. And this went on for years, and it was unsustainable. Uh, and they said, you know, what you really need is a donor. Well, one thing led to another, and this is where Sandra Munson comes into the picture. Some of you know Sandra. And uh, Sandra and uh, Mike uh, were friends with Tim and his wife's friends. They didn't know Tim and his wife, uh, but they had kids overlapping and that sort of thing. And uh, they ended up connecting. And so this fall, Sandra gave Tim a kidney. Amazing. So they're both living now with one kidney. 
um, Sandra, if you, you know, Sandra's very low key about it. If you said, Sandra, how, how has this changed your life? She goes, no big deal. It's a non-event. Sandra, that was amazing what you did. Hey, I was just glad and delighted I could do it. I'm sure if you were to ask Tim what the fall was like and what the year has been since then, what this Christmas was like, he'd be saying, oh my gosh, it's a whole new life. My life is so different. It's so new. We talk about a new life. We're talking about something significant. Um, uh, we've been talking about these things from the standpoint of not me and what do I want. We've been talking about it from the standpoint of what does God want for us? What does, want, does God want to give us that He alone uh, can provide for us? Uh, this new identity, this new heart, a new mind, and ultimately a new life. Why? Because all those things, identity and heart and mind, lead into uh, creating a new life, and then that new life s- goes back through and, and ramps up everything to do with your identity and your heart and your mind. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, <clears throat> and, but I have to clarify, what kind of new? Uh, is it just new to you? In a sense, uh, Tim got an old kidney. Like, what, a used kidney? Are you kidding me? No, uh, it was a new kidney. It was a healthy kidney. It was exactly what he needed. It was a perfect kidney for him. But sometimes when we talk about new stuff, we mean new to me. Not necessarily earth-shakingly new. Uh, early in my life, uh, you know, uh, post-driver's license, I had a series of new cars. Uh, they were new to me. They were all beaters. My first new car, um, just actually before I got my license, it was very exciting. It was parked forever in front of a neighbor's house, only because it did not run. But I saw that as lack of imagination on the part of the neighbor. And so... Um, with the help of the neighbor, we pushed that almost running car uh, out in front of my house. And there it sat for many, many months. But it wasn't empty uh, months. It was purposeful months as I thought about how awesome it would be to drive that car once we got it running. And of course, once that ran its course, I realized this car will never run again. This car is meant to be parts for other cars uh, that need it. Uh, so that was my first new car. Uh, after that, I had a series of other new cars that I was so excited about because they were new to me, right? Um, some of you would say, well, a new thing is a new thing, right? And so if, when you find that A-track, that new A-track you've been looking for, let me know how that works for you, you know? Old technology, nobody knows what, even what it is except for uh, you have to be old enough to have had access to one in the 70s when you had to wait forever to get that A-track all the way through to get to the song you actually wanted to listen to. So new is, is, is something that needs to be qualified. What we're talking about when we talk about new life in the context of what God wants to give us in Christ is supremely better and different. Uh, we're talking about life and death different, sort of like what, what Tim uh, experienced, only even beyond that. Uh, we're talking about a now and forever better basis for living. We're talking about a new and renewing life made possible by Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going today, reflecting on this idea of what is this new life, what does it connect us to, uh, both in terms of a relationship with God, but our relationship uh, with the world He created and is redeeming. So that's where we're going to go. Starting off with uh, Scripture, we always include Scripture in our messages because it isn't just another great idea from Steve or Dave or whomever is preaching. We gather every week to sit before and to sit under the authority of our foundational text in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the Bible we, we consider is a foundational text. Uh, it, it helps us understand any other text we read. 
It helps us make sense of the world that we experience and that we see, that we observe. It helps us make sense of all the other data, all the other content uh, that we possess and that flows over us every single day. And so we always start with a scripture, uh, not just as a formality, uh, as some traditional kind of a gesture of respect to God, but because we believe that the scripture unlocks the secrets, uh, the mysteries of life for us, the conundrums of life. And then um, in the course of this message, this sermon, this talk, I'll refer to other scripture. Why? Because we, when we look at the scripture, uh, whether it's in a life group, a small group of people that get together uh, to, to study the Bible, read the Bible, talk about the Bible, talk about what God is doing in their life, pray for each other, to encourage each other. Um, we want to look at the whole thing holistically. We don't just take a, a verse out of context and make it mean what we want it to mean. Uh, we, we look at texts, and then we say, what are the texts that speak to this text, that, that complement it, that give it a proper context? So, just so you know, there'll be some scriptures that will show up on the board here, um, but also there's some scriptures I'll refer to that won't, you won't see them. Uh, feel free, when you come here, uh, to bring a Bible, and, and, and you can have that Bible in your hand, in print, or on your phone, or some other way. Why? Because we want you to have a context for the text, a visual context. Uh, we provide it for you in case you don't have one, that's fine. But if you have one, bring it, and that way you can make notes. And then correct me later after all the notes you take. You know, whatever it takes, I, I appreciate it. So here's this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Corinth was a city in ancient Greece, a big deal city. And uh, Paul, a man whose name originally was Saul, a rabbi, is now uh, a representative of Jesus. Uh, he's a true blue Jew. He's also a Roman citizen. He also uh, speaks Greek and knows the culture. So he's sort of the international man. And he's, he's had this relationship with uh, a group of people who come to know Christ in Corinth. And he reminds them, because they're going through a very, very difficult time. And they're thinking, you know, all that good stuff about Jesus, I don't know if it's really playing out. I'm not sure how helpful it is. It's kind of like me and my first new car. A lot of promise, but mm, what's it really delivering? And so he says to them, by way of reminder, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. He's reminding them, this is who you are. This is your identity. This describes your heart. This is what's been shaping your mind. And this is what God wants to do by way of building a new life in you. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And so what is this all about? What does it mean to say somebody is in Christ? Uh, why doesn't he just say, if you believe in Jesus? Uh, and this new creation idea, wh what is that about? Uh, what, what is the old that's gone? What's the new that's come? And so this idea of this new creation is that Jesus' entrance into the world inaugurated a new creation. Just as all things were created through Christ, the Bible tells us that God created everything through Christ. That's a stretch, maybe, for you to hear that and think, I don't know, I don't know if I can believe that. Well, the Bible says this is, the, this is the case. So just spotting the Bible, some credibility for the moment, we'd say, okay, if all things were created through Christ and something has terribly wrong has gone with that creation, and we know from what the Bible says, God is committed to redeeming His creation, setting it right. He just doesn't move on and say, oh, that was a mistake, that was a problem, let's move on. He... God Himself comes into the world to redeem His creation. The one through whom all things were created comes into the thing He created to recreate it. So that's the, that's the thing you're looking at, this mystery wrapped in an enigma. God Himself comes into the world uh, by way of introducing a new creation 
in the middle of the present creation. So that's what's happening here. These are very big ideas, right? Well, what's new about it? Uh, so much seems the same. 2,000 years later, uh, this new creation of Christ, it's like, what has changed? You might think it's reasonable to ask that question. I think it is. 2,000 years in to say, well, what exactly has changed? But they were asking that same question within 30 years of Jesus' resurrection. And so one of Jesus' disciples, a guy named Peter, former fisherman, uh, now a leader in this international movement of God's Spirit, uh, is hearing people say, hey, I don't get what the newness is. Same old, same old. I'm still poor. The Romans are still in charge. Life is hard, and then you die. When's this new creation going to reveal itself? And so Peter says this. This is one we don't have a slide for, but he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He's not late to His own party. Instead, Peter says, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So this creation has been inaugurated in Christ, and the ultimate culmination of it, the new heaven and the new earth of this new creation, is yet to happen. Why? Is God, is God waffling? Is He short on funding? Uh, are there some other problems He didn't anticipate, unintended consequences of no? God says, uh, Peter says that God is being patient. He wants uh, anyone who's willing to be redeemed in this new creation. And so to be in Christ is to have an identity within this new creation. You just don't believe in Christ. You are now being included in it. You are a new creation. You're included in it. There's a new you in Him. Not just you believe in Him from a distance. You now are brought into this intimate relationship with Him. Which is mind-boggling, isn't it? I, I, is it like my new imaginary friend? Or is it possible this, that this God I cannot see is actually really present within me? And this is what the Bible claims, that yes, that's the case. And so being included in this new creation means that something is happening. Change is afoot. Does this have something to do with climate change? Yes. <laughs> There's a change of the climate in you. Things are being put right and set right in you and in me and in all creation that we can't yet see but will be revealed at some point. And so what's gone and what's present? The old that's now gone is that you are no longer defined by sin and death. Before Christ came into the world, uh, we were defined by sin and death. You disobeyed God, um, that leads to death, and we would call that behavior sin because it's, it's a disobedience toward God. But God is not about to let you perish. God is going to uh, redeem you. And so the new creation in Christ is now that you are defined by His life in you. And though I still sin, I'm still imperfect, I still will physically die. The fact is that I am now in Christ and there's a new life in me. And so death and sin no longer adequately define me. Because though I die, yet I will live. And though I have the capacity to sin, my sins have been forgiven. And God sees me as completely clothed in His righteousness, lacking in nothing. Wild thought, isn't that? So that's why we don't say these sorts of things to, to, to cheapen the grace of God. Oh, go ahead and sin, it's fine, you're covered. You like to sin, God likes to forgive, it's an awesome arrangement. But rather we're saying, yeah, this old nature that fights for recognition still has no power over you. Your identity is clearly in Christ, beyond sin and death. And, and when you sin, uh, you're just focusing on the wrong stuff. 
It's real. It's impactful. It's destructive. There's consequences. But it's no longer who you are because you are in Christ. Now, this is a wild thing, isn't it? It's mind-boggling to me how God can put all this together. And it's mind-boggling uh, to try to understand it and even talk about it up here. So bear with me. Uh, if I lose you, just raise your hand. Ah, don't raise your hand. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's Paul saying, hey, remember, you're a new creation in Christ. And then John, one of, jo of Jesus' disciples, the youngest of his disciples, now uh, an older man, is writing to all these followers of Jesus spread out all over the place. And again, he writes them a letter because they're going through very, very difficult times. And again, he's reminding them about who they are. So he says to them, dear friends, now we are children of God. He's not saying, hey, now new news, big news, uh, new information. Now we're children of God. He's talking to people who already know this and believe this, just like Paul was. But again, in the midst of their travails, the setbacks, the difficulties, the discouragement that they're going through, the failure of their bodies, uh, the oppression of the governments over them and around them, the economic situation, whatever. He's reminding them, dear friends, now we are children of God. Now, why would he say that? Uh, we're going to find out why. But what does it mean that we're children of God, that we're small, sort of insignificant, should be seen but not heard? Is it because we're naive and we'll always be naive? Is it that we're weak and vulnerable? perpetually immature? No. No. He's saying, you have a birthright. You're beloved sons and daughters of a loving Heavenly Father. You are the offspring of God by faith in Christ. You are children of God. You are beloved. You are precious. Nothing and no one can separate you from Him in Christ. It gives you chills when you think about it. Powerful. Uh, he loves us. He protects us. He provides for us. He prepares us. He, he prays for us. We're meant to grow up into in, the fullness of His sovereignty in our lives. So it's not remaining completely dependent in the sense that uh, we are clueless. It's that we depend on Him to come into the fullness of life that He promises us. Uh, years ago, I was a brand new Christian, and a friend and I were hitchhiking around the country visiting friends, and we're standing out uh, in front of a, a concert, ready to go into this concert, or maybe having just come out of the concert, but it was a big, giant event, but, you know, thousands of people our age. Um, I was like 17 at the time. My friend's 18. And all these young people hanging around, and, and there's these people talking about Jesus. And they come up to us. They start telling us about, talk, talking to us about Jesus. And we both said, well, yeah, we're, we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. And the guy goes, well, and he starts saying all this crazy stuff to us. But are you children of God? Yeah, we've accepted Jesus as Lord. And, and, but as, as we talked to this guy and, he, and, and his friends, they, had the, they, they kept talking in these ways that sounded so contrary to what we'd been learning through Young Life and through our church. And finally, I said, what, what, what church are you part of? Because we are the children of God. Like, yeah, because you're a follower of Christ. No, no, we are the children. Of, well, I didn't realize what he's talking about. The children of God was a cult. And the idea was to take people when they're vulnerable and immature and maybe having horrible situations in life and, and tell them a part of the gospel, but then use the gospel to, in a sense, enslave them. It was devastating to the people who got involved in the children of God. Um, a family uh, with a lot of kids in the family, mom and dad are sort of free-spirited people. They become involved in the children of God. Uh, the kids grow up. It's a devastating experience that they've had. The oldest son, River, 
never learned to read or write. He became a phenomenal actor and died of a drug overdose. Uh, his, his brother, Joaquin, is still dealing with the implications of the craziness of being in the children of God cult. Their experience about, about being children of God was the exact opposite of what we are and of what John's talking about. He's saying, you've been set free. You've been set free, not to be indulged and pampered, but to be raised up in the fullness of who you were created to be. And your loving Heavenly Father will make sure that happens. So it's a word of encouragement saying this new life is durable and sustainable and resilient. And it's God Himself who blesses you with it and will fund it. So hang in there. John continues, and he says, so we're children of God, and he says, what we will be has not yet been made known. Uh, we baptized a little one uh, last week, the, this precious uh, little girl. And, and we could say of that little girl, we don't know what she will be, but our hope and our prayer, and the hope and prayer for parents is that she will be everything Christ wants her to be. We don't know what she will be yet. We can only imagine. Will she be the first president of the United States? Or the second or third? Who knows, right? Will she, will, will she, what will she do? And so John's saying, we really don't know uh, uh, that yet. We don't quite understand yet what our new self will ultimately look like or be like. It's in development. But we do know this, he says. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We shall be like Him because we will see Him as He is, and we'll see that we're reflecting who He is. There's been a transformation that's taken place, that we're like Him. We're not Him, but we're like Him. We reflect His glory. We reflect His goodness. We, we reflect His wholeness. Uh, powerful. If you said, we, we don't know what this little girl is going to be, but we do know that she's going to be fully alive in Christ. Is that good enough for you? You say, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the rest of it is sort of interesting but immaterial. Will she be a preschool teacher or the president? In God's economy, it's all the same. Will she have serious difficulties and physical challenges and, and emotional setbacks? Probably. Everybody has those to one degree or another. As somebody once said, nobody gets out of here alive. You know. But though we die, though we suffer, though we go through travailing situations, yet shall we live and thrive in Him. And so we will see Him in all His glory. We'll see that we have been transformed by Him. This new life not only started somewhere, it goes somewhere. Uh, maybe you met Christ at a Young Life camp. You went to Woodleaf or Malibu or someplace, or maybe it was at Forest Home, or maybe um, some friends, you were surfing and some guys go, hey, man, have you heard about Jesus? And you, and you said, no, tell me about him. Or maybe uh, you, have a, you had a godly family that influenced you for Christ and raised you up, and one day you said, gosh, you know, this isn't just my mom and dad's faith, this is my faith. Maybe you were at a Billy Graham crusade or a harvest festival, or, and you heard an evangelist talk about Jesus in ways you never knew um, uh, before. That's all important as we look back and say, oh, that's the marker. That was the beginning. That was the moment of aha. And as important as that is, and, and to keep going back to that to say, that's right, remember that. Just like we celebrate anniversaries and birthdays. But what's even more important is to say, yeah, but that happens so we can look this way. 
we're looking this way because God is taking us somewhere really, really good. I don't want to miss any part of that along the way. I want to be paying attention to him because this new life is a development. Uh, you've heard it said that it's just a phase of kids. It's just a phase. I love the way that the people in Think Orange talk about it. They say, it's just a phase, so don't miss it. We feel that way about children here. Uh, we don't say, oh, let's just see, you know, we'll get it together maybe in a couple of years with the kids. No, they're only in fifth grade once. They're, they're a kindergartner once. Uh, for some of us, we were juniors or seniors in high school several times. But um, the idea is don't miss that phase. And so whatever phase you're in, maybe it's a, it's a time of massive testing for you, super discouragement, or maybe it's like the best you've ever experienced in life. Be sure to be leaning into what does God want to do in this season through this new life that I possess in Him, in spite of, of all the circumstances, good or bad or indifferent. Uh, so let me, let me quote C.S. Lewis, because, you know, in America, a sermon is never complete unless you quote C.S. Lewis at least once. Uh, in England, I don't know if they even remember who C.S. Lewis is, except for at the touristy places. But in the, in the United States, if you're a Christian, C.S. Lewis is the fourth member of the Trinity. You know, so I'm going to... And he's so quotable. How, how can you not quote C.S. Lewis? Um, in an essay called The Weight of Glory, which is part of a whole collection of essays, which is titled The Weight of Glory... Uh, C.S. Lewis comments on this process that we're in, uh, and especially he's, he's speaking to British people who feel like, well, what's really happening? Is there, is there anything really happening? We just kind of seem to be muddling through. So what's the big deal about this big news? And so he says this. He says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. That's weird, isn't it? Small g, gods and goddesses. He says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And he goes on to say, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship because they have now been transformed in Christ. Or a horror and a, co and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. The decisions we make to say yes or no to the Lord's grace and invitation to this new life have massive consequences. He goes on to say, all day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. And I would add, in this church, there are no normal people. But he's saying there are no ordinary people because they're in process. They're going somewhere extraordinary. Extraordinarily good or extraordinarily horrific by their choice, their decision. He says, you have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, right? They're limited. They're just constructs that we come up with. He said, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This is the incredibly great drama of this new life we're talking about. It's not just a ho-hum, oh, that's interesting. 
like it's a new outfit. Well, yeah, but like the 8-track, it's going to be passe pretty quickly. No. No. This makes a difference in life. And of course, the, 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 the scripture that he builds this essay on is, is another um, of Paul's letters. Uh, it's the same one that we quoted earlier, but the chapter previous. Uh, because as I said, Paul was talking to people to, like John was who were going through a really tough time. And, and so, Paul makes this comment that C.S. Lewis picks up on and I read an excerpt of. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This is his reference to the weight of glory. The awesomeness of God, the glory of God, the magnificence of God is the weight of glory. Outside of Christ, it crushes us. It's so immense. In Christ, it lifts us up and gives us life. He says, so... We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, forever and ever. Amen, right? And so our future is being worked out in God's eternal present. God, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, that's, that's how it says it in the, in the New Testament. Uh, that comes out of a Hebrew phrase. And he who was, and he who is, and he who will be. But for God, it's the eternally present. Our future is being worked out in the context of God's eternally present. So to us, it's coming. For him, it's already here. You are that. But no, no, I'm becoming that. Right. But that's who you are. Because you're limited by time and space, it's not yet clear. But this is who you are, and this is what will be revealed. And so in the meantime, our new life is hidden in Christ, but we see the confirming signs of His work in us as we live out our new life in Him in the real world. When I say the real world, I don't mean as opposed to heaven, that's not the real world. I say in the world that we live in day in and day out that is most real to us right now. And so there's a new you in review. If that's the case, what's your part in this? Here's the big conundrum. Uh, sovereign God, human beings, sovereign God, uh, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Human beings, we get to make decisions and choices. We have what we call free will. So what's our part of this? Our part is that we are privileged to actively learn from Him and partner with Him in His work in the world. We are privileged to actively learn from Him and partner with Him in His work in the world. How can this be? Because Christ unites God's sovereignty and our agency. You're familiar with the term agency. It just means that human beings are responsible and accountable for decisions. We're privileged to make decisions. If you're 18 years old and you sign the contract, oops, too bad. You shouldn't have thought about it. Uh, There's a big conversation right now uh, among the presidential candidates that uh, the voting age should be dropped. And, of course, there's an ar- ar- the pushback is, are you kidding me? We'd like to have people with a more fully developed prefrontal cortex make these kinds of decisions or serve as president, whatever. So Colossians then, uh, Paul continues writing to the Colossians. He, we, we touched on some of his stuff in Corinthians. 
Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, it says, Since you have been raised with Christ, since then you have been raised with Christ. If you are a child of God and you're, you're a new creation, and somehow that raises you up to be part of this new thing that God is doing. He says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So, uh, set your heart on things above. What, what is that about? It's not about being emotional about going to heaven. To say that it's above it means really, it, they're talking about heaven as God's kingdom beyond, not above. So, the Russian cosmonaut who first went into space and said, I don't see anything up here. Well, Yuri, we wouldn't expect you to see anything up there. You're just above the clouds. You haven't penetrated God's kingdom. You're not in heaven. But the, but the language is things above, right? And setting your heart isn't having an emotional um, experience necessarily. It's saying the core of you needs to be focused in the most important place, the place where God's authority uh, resides. And so what we're talking about then is we set our hearts on Jesus' authority and Jesus' credibility. Um, setting your heart implies your highest priority. This is where Jesus says uh, to the people at the Sermon on the Mount, and you can find this in Matthew, uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, being rightly related to Him, and everything else in your life will sort itself out. That's what it means to set your heart to make your priorities in this new life. Lord, what is the greatest thing I can do? And Jesus would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself, right? Set your heart on these things. Where do these things come from? Great human ideas? Uh, no, they're human yearnings, but they, they're God's idea. And then to say that um, he, Christ is seated, what is that about? Well, sitting down uh, in this culture means he's completed his work. When you've made the case, you sit down. When you've completed your work, you sit down. And so at the, at the, at, at the end of his time on the cross, uh, Jesus says, to tell us die. You know, it is finished. So he finishes his work, and, and, and through the resurrection and, and ascension of Jesus, he, he takes his seat, and that's his credibility. He's done his work. He's got credibility. He did what he said he would do. And then to sit down at God's right hand shows his authority. Seated at the right hand of God is a description of authority. So where do we go with this? Simply this. He is the source of our identity and our authority and our credibility. Our authority and our credibility might be conferred on us because of human standards. You're qualified to do this. You've earned the right to do that. But from the standpoint of this new life, we've been given authority and credibility because of what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing in us. And so our new identity is described as setting our hearts on His purposes for us. Not to the exclusion of anything else, but so that anything and everything else gets its proper priority and attention, right? Jesus is, the relationship you have with Jesus is not the only relationship you have, but it's the important, most important relationship. The Bible is not the most important book we read, but it's our foundational text. At any given time, there might be a book that seems more important for the situation, but undergirding that is the authority and credibility of God's Word. This is why when we say, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, you're setting priorities, but everybody gets loved in the right way at the right time. 
And so we can have full confidence in His capacity to do what He says. This is a very big deal that Paul wants us to understand. And so he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And again, it's not disparaging earthly things because that's the world we live in, right? We live in the day-to-day stuff. It's not saying that's not important. It's saying it will not make sense unless you set your mind uh, on things above. You'll miss the whole point of your earthly life unless you look at this first. So we set our minds on our Creator. Why? So that we can be part of blessing and redeeming all creation. We worship the Creator, not the creation. That's why I'd love to talk to Greta. I think here's this concerned, passionate, sweet, earnest 16-year-old girl pleading with all these adults. Uh, The world is on fire and it's your fault. This is all we've got. And I want to say, Greta, 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 it's not all you've got. What you have is the Creator. Turn to Him. He cares about this creation as you do. In fact, more than you because He created it. In fact, He wants to use you in this process that in the Hebrew language is tikkun olam, the healing of the world. He wants to use you in that process. But take a step back and understand it's His redemptive purposes that we get to join. It's not pleading with people who've helped destroy the world because they're powerless to do much about it, ultimately. And they're using you as a photo op and a prop. But your heart is right and your heart is good. So we set our minds on our Creator. Why? So that we can bless His creation. Otherwise, we will worship it. We'll think it's the only thing that we have and we'll become despairing. So the Lord is our hope, not the earth or anything in it. And yet every person in human structure is accountable to Him for the care of the earth. And so when our heart and mind isn't set on God's kingdom, we lose our way in the world and we are subject to idolatry. And what does that do? It means that we do anything we want to do. Because when you reject God's authority, it's not that you believe in nothing, it's that you believe in anything. And anything is defined in what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And so the Bible distinguishes between the world that God created that is described in Genesis as good, good. It was very good means it's good, good. And that's distinguished from the world that we've desecrated and which we deface our own humanity in which is a big problem. So this new life is addressing these major macro issues, and the pathway to do that is through every human heart. Are you following me or I put you to sleep? So this this is the theology that undergirds this sense that we have a new life in Christ. Otherwise, if we don't understand this theology, it becomes imminently mockable and laughable and dismissible. Oh, you're one of those born agains. How sweet, how cute, nice. Why don't you get in touch with the real world? And so we see, again, uh, John writing uh, to in, in, in his letter, uh, first letter, First John chapter 2. We don't have a slide for this. He says, do not love that world, that one that we've kind of uh, taken over. Do not love that world or anything in that world. If anyone loves that world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in that world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from that world. That world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever, connecting to this new life and this new creation in Christ, right? 
And I would add, in the new world, restored to its original beauty. This is where it's all going, a new heaven and a new earth. In the meantime, the one we're in counts and matters. He says, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. How have we died? This is not just figurative language. This is, uh, this is substantive language. Now, these are alive people, so how could they have died? So it's not figurative like it's a poetic thing. He's describing spiritual realities that affect the world in which we live day to day. Joined to Christ, we die to ourselves and we're made alive in Him. So in a sense, by putting your faith in Christ, uh, as He takes our sins to the cross, uh, we died with Him. As He rises from the grave, as we put our faith in Him, we rise with Him. Our sins are no longer held against us, counted against us. We're clothed in the righteousness of God, unconditionally accepted and loved by God. This is available to all people and all places. And so the signs of this this new life hidden with Christ in God would be things like our confession of faith, our baptism, the fruit of the Spirit working out in our lives. And what have we died to? Sin, death, separation from God, the authority and power of Satan to make us do anything. And so in what way is our life now hidden? Hidden as in let's get away from this horrible world, let's hide until the new heaven and the new earth shows up? No. Hidden in the sense that it's safe and secure in the hands of God like a treasure beyond uh, access to thieves or those who would destroy it. Why is it hidden? It, it's hidden, meaning it's in God's hands under His care. When will it be revealed? When Christ returns in glory. It's all working out. It's all coming together. Not on our timetable, but His. So in the meantime, what do we do? We live our life for God. No matter how bad life may be, we are being renewed and refitted for glory. This is a very hard thing when you're in the middle of the battle, when you're in the middle of the fight, when you're in the middle of the suffering, when you're in the middle of the uncertainty, where, where you're in the middle of the pain and the suffering, right? Not easy, but this is where we are. And so he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. When Christ, who is your life right now, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That is, you will be revealed to be who you are, just as He is revealed to be who He is. So, what it's saying is that history goes somewhere. There's a spectacular ending. Earth in its present form gives way to a new heaven and a new earth. The present earth is not trashed, it's transformed. The present you is not trashed, you are transformed. So meanwhile, our, our purpose isn't just littering the present earth or loitering on the present earth. It's learning to love it, love it with God's love, the love that we receive from Him that He gives us uh, to, to love other people and to love those structures that need transformation. And so John now says, having just said, don't love the world or anything in it, he says, this is how we know what love is. This is 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. You have a purpose. You have a mission in the midst of this new life you're living into. You are now part of that high calling, so don't neglect it. Accept it. Rejoice in it. Learn the contours of it. Understand how it works in the very life you're living, the person that you are and what you're becoming. 
It's a new life of love in you and through you. And do not underestimate your contribution or anybody else's contribution. It's just me. No, no. <laughs> you and God are a majority. They said last week, small God, big problems. Big God, small problems. Hold on to the things that lift you up. Let go of the things that pull you down. And I finish with this, asking you this question. If this is all true and right and good, if this is the core of who we are meant to be now and forever, what will this new season look like for us in our church? I want to explore this over the next months, but I just want to ask the question today. What will this new season look like if we're understanding the question, what's new? Identity, heart, mind, and life. What will that look like for us in our church as we move ahead into that reality together? I, I think it'll be quite amazing if we take this new life seriously. I think it'll be quite disappointing if we don't. It'll be a non-event, ho-hum, big deal, let's go for the exits if we don't embrace the new life. If we embrace the new life, we're going to have a parking problem. Why? Because we'll be aligned with Jesus and with one another. We don't have to agree with each other, we just have to be aligned. We'll find our place in the body of Christ, what member we are, what, what gifts and skills we have to contribute. We'll bless the body of Christ. We'll grow together in our leadership, in our generosity, and in godly community. See, our goal is the equivalent of going to the Super Bowl. Well, why would that even matter? Because it's happening next weekend, that's why. Because it would represent some high achievement. Do you know how many NFL teams there are? I thought they're like six. There's apparently 32 of them, and two of them are going to the Super Bowl. What did they have to do? They had to become aligned. They had to figure out what their gifts were. They had to figure out how to use them. Uh, and a lot of people were curious to see what happens next Sunday. Do you know that the minimum ticket is 4500 bucks? That's in a bad seat with no snack. A really nice crib in the stadium um, is $85,000. I got a couple extra tickets if anybody's interested. So I want to leave you with this thought. Do you know the name Raheem Mostert? Raheem Mostert, M-O-S-T-E-R-T. -E okay, let me tell you why that matters. There was a game last week. Apparently, the 49ers were in it. Uh, Garoppolo, they're an amazing quarterback, only threw eight passes. Eight passes doesn't make for a big game. He didn't need to throw more than eight passes because they just kept giving the ball to Raheem Mostert, a 27-year-old who's been fired from six teams in the last five years. 27 years old, since he left Purdue University as a 22-year-old where he had the grand total of 700 running yards, he's bounced from team to team to team to team to team. They didn't know what to do with him. He wanted to quit all along the way, but his wife kept saying, honey, if you believe this is what you're supposed to do, hang in there. They just don't know how to use you. They don't know what you can do. And sure enough, he finally lands with a thud with the 49ers, and they figured out, oh, my gosh, this is what Raheem can do. And so in that context, in that setting, Raheem became a new man. Raheem embraced a new life. He either, he either matched or exceeded points and yardage records last weekend. They hope to do the same next Sunday. But they don't, the, 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 in that game, who knows what's going to happen, right? But the team that is able to say, we see what you bring, 
and we know how to align properly together to make something happen. That team is going to move ahead. That's who we are. That's why I say we should aspire to be a Super Bowl quality team. Not in competition with anybody else, but in, but in, in commitment to the new life that Christ is giving to us. This guy is doing what he could never do before, but he, what he could do now because of this team supporting him. And this team is able to do what it didn't think it could do, but for him being on it. This is your story. This is our story. That's you and me. That's us together as La Jolla Community Church. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that this would be the ongoing narrative in this congregation, that we would become so aware and alive to this new life in us, this new life that we share together in you, that in partnership with churches across the city and county and country and around the world, we would rise to the occasion, embracing what you've entrusted to us, honoring and glorifying you, blessing people in your name, all because you've given us this new identity, a new heart, and a new mind in this new life. And so we thank you for that and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, we as a church are going to come together as we give to the Lord of our offering. And uh, I always love that we take a little break to just kind of pause and reflect and think about what our giving uh, does. And could God do what he wants without it? Sure. But the joy in us and the new life that we have is God wants to use us for kingdom work and kingdom impact. And so we have the opportunity and the privilege. And I pray, as Scripture reminds us, the joy in cheerfully giving unto him what he has blessed us with. And so would we just take a moment and let's just come before the Lord in a time of prayer as we prepare our hearts to give to him out of our uh, hearts through this offering. And Lord, uh, we do, we come cheerfully giving to you, Father, hearts open, minds open, hands open to say, take this, Father, and do what only you can do. And we thank you that as a church that we can come together collectively and those who are in the first hour and those who are with us now in this service to give to you, to your work, that as we as a church move and share the gospel and reach people and Father, the stories that I know we have heard in the past and what we will continue to hear in the future that have come through the generosity of your people will continue to motivate us and encourage us and embolden us to do more, to give more, to be more for your glory, for your kingdom. And so we pray that as we give that you would take, you would multiply it. Uh, Father, you would use it uh, again as we've said so many times today for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. Here I empty myself to all this world nothing and find everything in Treasures of our God remain. 
Well, the Spirit of God is reaching out to everybody in this room right now. Whether to say, look, now's the time to invite the Lord into your life. Start that relationship with Him. It's a new life that will change everything about the life you're presently living. Uh, maybe He's calling you to repent. Uh, you've been fighting Him, rebelling against Him. You've been saying, look, I'm, I'm going to hide, I'm going to run, and you're still here. So turn to Him. Open your heart and mind wide to Him. Let Him heal you and move you and bring you into relationship with Him in a fresh way. And maybe things are going so well you can't believe it. Keep your eyes on Him. Thank Him for the opportunity to be in a season of flourishing. Be sensitive to those around you who are struggling and need your encouragement, not your competition. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon us all, giving us His peace, His mercy, His love, His power, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.